Hello, welcome to the Mythology Marksmanship Podcast. My name is Morgan King. Well, you know my name, but this is Morgan King, and I'm here with Paul Higley. Um, today, um, we want to talk about the World Championships that we just got back from. It's been a week now. Uh, we've tried to get this uh, podcast out. This will be the, the third time. We recorded one there. Uh, I didn't like it. Um, then we recorded one here. Didn't get it edited properly because I tried to do it in the car. Just didn't sound good. Now, third time's hopefully the charm, right, Paul? Yeah, I hope so, Morgan. I'm I'm fully recuperated and ready to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Which, it's probably better this way because now it'll come across the right way, maybe. I, I don't mean... I, not that I'm being careful. It's my podcast. I can say whatever the heck I want. Um, we were talking about that. Uh, I think that's the beauty of podcasts is, is uh, you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, It's been uh, a fun ride so far for me. I'm glad you had me on. So Yeah. Well, I didn't know didn't know what a podcast was till till I was on one. And, uh, <laughs> now I catch myself with earbuds in all the time, listening to everybody all over the country, and they're pretty fun. Yeah, I think they are pretty fun. Um, first, um, I've had a lot of questions since uh, I talked about on the last episode. I talked about the Brant built concepts uh the indicator lights that the indexed with um a uh send it level so since then i've talked to brant brant just uh so brant talked to me at the the hunter match in utah in price utah um i'd never even seen one but like the day before I get this message from Josh Albrecht, um there in St. George, which um, St. George, Utah, and that's where um, Devin is from. And uh, anyways, Devin Brandt, the guy that builds these, and he's like, hey, you ought to check this thing out. And he's like, do you want to send it? I'm like, no. But I saw that, and I saw the wisdom in what it was that you could see the lights from the see the send it net whenever was um appealing to me because a bubble level um basically the lights are not a benefit to me because I'm gonna look at my level every time regardless of whether or not I don't have to have a um stoplight there just flashing in my face to be like, hey, here's a level because it's part of my process. Now I can see right. if like you are, you're having a tough time or something like that, maybe. But I still think I see so many guys. They have the send it. They don't look at the send it. It just is what it is. But the Brant built, um, it goes right on your ocular housing of your scope. It you have to run three. Um, you have to run three uh, fiber optic cable or fiber optic uh, cords. It's real easy. You set it up yourself. Um, he's got full instructions on how to do it. Um, you run them from your ocular housing, this little thing that he had built. And then he has a, a housing that replaces. And it, and he told me it goes on any send it level. So it 
you pull off the the factory housing and with the that has the lights and then you put on his new housing which has three little acceptor ports for three different uh um three different uh fiber optic cords and anyways you uh you take those and you plug them in, or and you put that on and then you run them run them down your deal velcro it on there pretty easy so you just got yours today did you set one up already uh, i haven't set it up yet i still gotta go i sold my send it level and uh Oh yeah, I've got one sitting over at Anarchy. I just got to go get it. So I had a busy day today. Uh, hopefully tomorrow I can make it there and, and set it up. I've looked at his instructions online. It looks pretty easy. Uh, can't wait to try it. Uh, I know they're going to sell fast, so I figured I'd better get two of them. <laughs> but I see the wisdom in it too. Um, even looking, you know, I use the uh, the level on my chassis so that, I, you know, I don't pull off, you know, to have to look around the side of my scope to look at my level. I just look down. But having these lights right on the ocular, uh, I can see that's going to save me some time. Yeah. Um, I think I, we talked about it last time on the, on the shot timer. Um, I figure... From because I run a shot timer very consistently, um, in practice you do too. Um, yep. From my average, um, my normal average time using the bubble on a chassis or whichever level I'm used to at the time, which right now I'm used to using the one on the chassis, but it seems to not matter. Um, what matters is the fact that you have to take your focus away from the center of your reticle. That's the big thing. Like even when people say you have to over it overlays when you see one in your off eye because it does overlay I understand that but you still have to take some focus from your reticle um, and then put it um, into the level and with this you don't have to you see it in your dominant eye um, in your peripheral vision so um, I've had people say what um, it, you don't see all five lights, you know, you only see three of them. Um, but so he told me, he's like in testing, uh, the blue and the green looked very similar and it was hard to tell which one it was on. Um, if you had them slid up. So, so he just said, look, uh, the best thing to do, um, was to have just three lights. And then the way I have it set up is, you just always go to the light. So if you have one light light lit up, you just roll your wrist until, or you roll the gun towards the light. And that works for me. But but the way he has it set up, you can set it up either way. You can set it, because you can flip those cords. See, the way the send it level comes, it only you can only have the lights do one thing, right? You can't flip the, like you can't have them work like a ball. And you can't have them work like right. a bubble. But the way he has it set, um, or y you can choose it however you want because you can flip those cords, um, flip right. those um, deals however you want. And I don't know if we're explaining this properly, but anyways, the one thing he wanted me to clarify, and I don't think I did, is because I really didn't know, is I thought it only worked with an MV3 um, Senate level. 
but he informed me that that is wrong. It will work with an MV3. It'll work with any send it level you have. It just pops the housing off. It might not fit. Um, or you know, he says it fits perfect. Or I don't know if it's perfect, but it's it's it fits on there um, just as good. It is made to mate with the NV3 and look very very clean on there. And I think he was saying something about the, um, about, I can't remember what, which part of it. I think it's the knob on one of them. Um, and I don't know how the knob might not be fully protruded as much on one versus the other. And I'm sure I'll get something that says, hey, um, that's wrong. But he told me that it should work perfectly with any of them. That's the important part. So if you have an old yeah. one, if you have a new one. It doesn't matter. It should made up just fine, and you can Even get these. With the the one with the bubble. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. that's what I had. I had one that had the uh, bubble built into it too, in case the batteries went dead. Yes, because see, and that's probably what he was meaning is is uh, it's probably the base that it doesn't made up with is good or something like that because the base probably had to be bigger for that one, but uh, mm. and I don't because it's just a bigger housing itself. But yeah, it, he said it should pull off, and you just put slip that one right over top of it. So, um, I he yeah he told me that it should work with all of them. So, um, the let's see, um, you can get them at Short Action Precision, um, which they they have them there. But he told me since the last episode they like sold out the next day. Um, for good reason, obviously, but so anybody looking for some brantbuiltconcepts.com is your place. He told me, um, for international orders and stuff, um, it might be easier to go through short action precision, but, um, either way, um, get a hold of him. He's super responsive. If you guys, um, need to, to get a hold of him, he'll tell you how to do it. He should be able to. And if he's going to a match or something like that, he can also bring him to the match if you guys are going. So like uh, the mat, the PRS match here um, coming up in Utah, in Price, Utah, there's going to be the um, Alpha Munitions uh, PRS match. He's going to be there. So anyways, that's I think that's enough on that. Uh, suffice it to say, it's uh, from my shot timer experience, it seems to save me at least a half to a full second per shot so it's definitely worth it um yeah you can see it right there can't miss it um yeah can't can't wait to use it yep i'm real excited about it yep so okay uh first i want to talk about so i want to talk about the format i kind of want to because you know yeah, I think I'm dang near 20 episodes in, but I'm still trying to figure out a format of how I like to run the show, right? And <clears throat> at the more and more um, we go, the more I think one thing, think another. Um, but I think where, because I, I, I feel like there's a lot of really good questions that uh, come up um from the listeners and i i have a tough time keeping up with all the questions that i do get but i do feel like they're really good and they generate really good conversation 
um, and topics and things. And so the there, but there's also topics I like to talk about because this is my show. Um, and, uh, and there's things that, uh, I, I want to, because I'm passionate about the game. Uh, I know you're the same Paul and, oh yeah. Yeah. And so when you are, you want to dispel myths, you want to help people, you want to put out information out there. And so this is my platform to be able to do that. Uh, and so I want to be able to, um, talk about things I want to talk about, but I also want to make sure that in every episode, I'm also providing, um, good information for the listeners. So, um, I'm going to start, uh, making sure that at least one or two, um, listener questions we answer at the end or why well, I say end, but probably more towards the, the second half of every episode. So there'll be like a topic that I want to talk about. Like today, I want to talk about the the precision rifle world championships over in France. Um, I kind of want to finish that, that up. I call it a mini series because it's really going to be mini. It's going to be two episodes, um, uh, of just where we talk about it. I, it'll probably come up quite a bit because it was so fun. So exciting. Um, it'll probably come up quite a bit in conversation, um, as the podcast goes forward. Um, and, uh, I I want to do some episodes with people from different countries because, I don't know, one of the coolest things to me and the most interesting things about the Precision Rifle World Championships was the people from different countries, their backgrounds. Uh, it was super interesting to see, like, how, what laws and things they have to deal with and how the shooting world is growing in their country and how small it is and the opportunities that they have or they don't have, but still are able to be there. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I agree. It, uh, it, that was what intrigued me going into it. Um, I think I had mentioned that before as I was just interested in, in meeting people. I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a people person. Some, yeah, some people I think might you not are. think that. No. But, uh, I had a great time over there getting to know people. Uh, it was just everything I expected and more. Yeah. So, um, first, I want to talk. I'm, I'm sure people know because I know it was such a cool scoring system uh, for the guys that, that didn't uh, check it out and weren't updating the scores as it went to see what was going on. Uh, it was pretty neat. Uh, it was a live scoring system. So most people, I think, that are listening to this and the shot matches um, use a system called uh, practice score, which is a great, it's great. It really is. Uh, but the connectivity and in, in that and the ability to do live scoring just is not there. I, I, I hope somebody figures this out and copies this system. But Ultimate Ballistics had, um, which... If Ultimate Ballistics did one thing right, they did this right, and it was their scoring system. It basically, there was a scoring system that that uh, it uploaded to the website immediately. And so then the website um, had all the scores on it, and they would they would update real time. So you, so you did it on your phone or your iPad, whatever, and then using your Wi-Fi 
or your service on your phone. It just uploaded it to the website. Um, and yeah. be- because of that, the scoring was live, and then people all over the world could get on there and see what was going on, including yourself while you're shooting. Right. Yeah, once you finished the stage and they told you your score and you approved it, it was live. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was it was listed. So the rankings, uh, they went, you know, they, they updated that quick. Uh, I agree. I thought it was an awesome system. So uh, anybody in the U.S. that updated their scores about probably, it was probably 8 o'clock in the morning back home. <laughs> when uh when they saw me up by like a full stage almost um towards the end of the match yeah that was a real thing yeah for one stage well i don't know actually it was for a little bit i was up quite a bit of points um and i'm sure people wonder why i didn't win because of that because and i i was I've thought about it quite a few times because, uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I will explain the situation. Um, but first I want to congratulate the people that did win, um, cause they shot great. I mean, uh, there's some people that, that really, um, showed up when it counted. Um, I want to start with the open, um, Austin Bushman won, um, the whole thing. Congratulations to him. He did. He shot awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I, I mean, yes. Uh, the other countries do not have the same opportunities we have. I mean, so like they were. It was not like going to the PRS finale when you have twenty slayers there. You had you had the United States boys, and then you had. Probably ten other guys from um, various different different countries that were pretty dang good, and then you had people that were just kind of getting. They were more getting into the game, which is fine. It's just that's where the game is at the in their country. Um, so it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, the. What was a match against um, some of the best in the world? It was. It just. It was unfortunate that we didn't have. The Americans didn't send um, more people, um, I think, to play because I think it could have been even more interesting. But that's okay. We still had a really, really good team. Like I, I mean, we definitely had um, some really, really good shooters. I mean, well, actually, I mean, when I say really good, we had um, some of the best in the world, literally the best in the world there. So, um and Austin, he showed up and he played and he he won the match and that was he shot really really well. You know he uh, he he put himself in a position to take advantage of, of what happened and and uh, but he you know he hats off to him he had to he had to shoot that last stage he had to shoot it. Oh yeah, he showed up when and it and he did he really did. Uh, oh yeah, my hats off to him too. I. I thought he'd done a fantastic job. Oh, he did. He he definitely performed well. And I was second by one point, and then Tate was two points behind me, I think. Um, so Tate Streeter, um, the owner of Impact, um, actions. He did, I mean he shot really really good. 
then tack or the limit i say tack but they have to call it limited just because it's in france um because they well actually no because it's international and they can't say anything tactical um but it's essentially the tack class in the united states the only difference at this specific match is most other matches you can have a 308 or a 223 just like tack class but in France, you could only have a 308, and that's because you cannot own a rifle. It's illegal to have a rifle chambered in 223 in France because that's an evil cartridge. Yeah, supposedly. Well, I don't Allegedly, know. Is that because is that because their military uses that? Is it, they wanted to? No, because 308's NATO too. Yeah, it literally it literally is be it's it's like a as a black rifle law is what I, the way I understand it is it's one of those like it's a scary cartridge so can't have one. Huh? It'll blow your whole face off. Huh? Yep. Even though that's <laughs> that would have been the smallest cartridge at that match, huh? How about that? <laughs> right. Uh. Anyways, for any of you French Very politicians listening, just know that's a dumb law. Right. And I can say that because that's my show. And, <laughs> and I have the First Amendment in America. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Anyways, congrats to Coulter Marriott. He slayed it with the old 308. He shot really, really well. I imagine we're probably going to see him um, shooting in the tech class a little bit in the United States now just because uh, he's a pretty smooth operator with that 308. And then Buck yeah, he's Hall, fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shot really. I mean. I didn't get to shoot yeah. him shoot a ton of stages, but yeah, he was shooting good. And then yeah, Buck Collie was second. Yep, yep, he shot really good. Yeah. He then, did. Then you got Leon Weatherby and Matt Partain. They tied, and I want to take a second to talk about what happened, um, because they tied. Oh yeah. How legit was that? Yeah, that uh, I'd never heard a an answer quite like that. Uh, what we're talking about is the shot timer. Um, no, Matt, no, or well, what are we talking about? I thought you meant how how Matt got his point back. Oh, well, that too. I didn't even think about that. I was thinking about yeah. that, but yeah, that thing. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's another thing. We got the first amendment. I was amazed say by what the I want. answer on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about that. I was thinking about right. the tiebreaker, but but yeah, I I completely had spaced that. Uh, you go ahead and explain what happened there. Well, uh, generally in the United States, we have a point three seconds. Yeah, it's usually the point. Timer goes off. It's anywhere. Sometimes, sometimes they say point two five. Sometimes they say point three three. Sometimes they say point three. Kind of depends on the match yeah. pressure, but point three I think is average. Pretty average. Well, in in this match book, it's point two five. Yeah. Um, Matt shot a a point two three. Mm-hmm. And the RO says, "Oh no, no, ninety seconds. That's it." Yeah, ninety point zero zero. Yep, ninety point zero zero. There is no, no gimme on the point two three, like it said in the matchbook. And Matt asked him, so well, what about? It says in the matchbook right there that it's you know point two five, and I got a point two three. 
And his explanation was, is, no, that's time of flight to hit the target. Yeah, the match director came over and said, no, 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 no. <laughs> the .25 is so you have enough time for your bullet to hit the target. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Matt says, well, what kind of freaking shot timers you guys got that can, that can uh, hear the bullet hit the target? Yep. And they didn't know what to say. They didn't understand. But they stood they stood their ground on that. They're like, no, no, no. Ninety point zero zero. But they didn't understand. Yeah. And I and I think Rob, um, the guy from South Africa that was the vice president, I think he still is I don't know actually. He could he might not be the vice president anymore. Um, but at the time he's the vice president and he's like they explained to him I think Marcus was there and they explained like, No, that point two five and for any of you guys listening, you guys need to um, especially guys from other countries that are trying to grow your game, like look, realize there are certain things about this match that you do not want to take back to your country and be like and set the precedent based on the way it operated. At least because it took them a while to get the decisions right, but once they they did make the right decisions in the end, a lot of the time there were certain yep, things yep. that they just didn't know, and it's because they're new, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think, and that's all it was. Yeah, they're and they're new. They figured it out. They real their interpretation of it was was one thing, and it was actually you know the, yeah a shot timer is only good for that. Yeah, they, that's yeah a shot timer is only <clears throat> most shot timers, whichever one you have. I think it varies, but it they're only guaranteed to within. X amount, you know, like most of the time, I think it is 0.3 or 0.25 or something like that. So plus or minus, so that means when you, when it reads it, it's plus or minus 0.3. That's what, that's what it could be. So technically if you, if you actually did shoot one and it was 90.00, that means it could be anywhere from 90.0 or 90.3 to 89.7. And so to give the benefit of the doubt to the shooter, they're saying that they will accept up to 90 point, well, at least most American matches is they will accept up to 90.3 because that means that that your shot could have gone off at 90.000, right? Right. And so that's what that's there for. That's there to protect the shooter from the air inherently built into the shot timer. And so this idea that it's for time of flight or anything like that is complete bogus. It's just not a thing. Uh, It was a good idea, maybe at the time, or a quick explanation because they didn't know because they were caught caught off guard. And what they don't realize is that the Americans have been doing this for a long time, so we did know the rules, and we do know the reasoning behind a lot of the rules, because we've had to hash all this stuff out, and so right. I I get it. Um, but like I say, they did make the right decision in the end, and they gave the point back to Matt, and that tied Matt and Leon, whether it be for third place, third and fourth place. Yep. But. What and I thought, they had to shoot off. Yeah, that's what I thought was freaking legit. Right. Because anybody in the top ten in any division had to show up 
on Friday. So the shooting for everybody got done Thursday. And Friday morning, before awards, anybody that was tied in the top 10 for any division had to shoot it off. Um, and that that split the, the ties. Man, man, was that cool. Because it was a it was an intricate stage. It was a, a thirteen rounds, and I think ten, eight or ten different targets. Uh, I think there was like eight different positions, um, and it was three minutes, and it went off a of hits first and time second, and uh, Leon ended up winning that tiebreaker. But man, I thought that was just so cool. Yeah, it was a cool stage. Other than the bunker. Yeah, the way they did the bunker on that, that the way the bunker was done on that stage was okay, though. Right. That was the, that was the big point, a big part of that, is that is the bunker should have been done that way in the match. And we'll talk about the bunker stage later. Uh, but, so... Yeah, the, the tiebreaker started off, you, you started prone. off prone... Shot three targets. Went to the tank trap. Three little ones. Shot. Yep. Yeah, they were uh, 2.2, 1.5, and 1.0 MOA. Yeah, I thought it was, so yeah, it yeah, something like that. Graduated they were tiny. down. Yeah. Oh, you've got the then you moved. You, yeah, you moved to the tank trap, and you shot off the tips. And that's where Matt went down in the in the crotch. And so his point didn't count when he picked his third position. Oh. So I think that frustrated him when he went onto the rooftop. Oh. But, uh, yeah, you remember the RO holding his hand up saying this point didn't count. Yeah, I got you. Because uh, it was supposed to be off all three tips. And Matt must not got the memo. It happens to most, you know, a lot of us a lot of the time, you know. Especially this this stage had uh, four props you shot from. Yep. And, you know. Yeah, because then you went to the rooftop and shot another little troop line, right? Yeah, you shot three more on a troop line. And they were uh, 1.5, 1.7, 1.7. Yep. And then you went to the... uh, Bunker. Went far near, far near. Yep. And they were 1.4 1.7 MOA. So it was a it was a tough stage. 180 seconds. Yep. And score was 13. Yep. And nine nine targets. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. It was a it was fun watching. That's the that was the cool part. And because I, I mean everybody showed up. Well, not everybody, but but I mean there's probably a hundred people there, maybe more, just watching. Yeah. Um. Everybody yeah. do this. And I, the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, cause I've been, I've been telling everybody for, I don't know how long now, I think every match, if we're going to move forward with the game and maybe this isn't worldwide, right? Maybe this doesn't have to happen worldwide, but where, where the sport here in the country, in the States, it's at this point where it could be taken to another level. Um, it's just big enough now. To where I think it could be more viewable, it could be more wash watchable, and people actually would. It's at that stage where we could make this thing cool, and uh, I think that that comes from shooting eighteen stages 
Um, and then everybody putting their guns up except for the top six or ten or something. I think it's probably six because that six is a good number where that's 12, you know, two-minute stages. That's uh, 40, 40 minutes of shooting maybe. Yeah. Uh, you could We could stand to do that. Uh, so the awards are all set up right there on the range or wherever, but they're all set up. Everybody knows who's at the top six. You maintain your lead, um, but and you you have to set the scoring up to where you can't where sixth place. There isn't this huge gap between the guys that shoot the 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 shoot offs. Um, you have to keep the same separation, but allow those guys to shuffle based on those last two stages. Um, so but everybody's watching because you got basically. As there's as the match director and everybody's setting up awards or whatever behind you, you're shooting your last two stages basically, um, right? The top six, and everybody's watching. Like, uh, you got a whole crowd watching. Now you've got ten guys that that are Facebook living this thing, and and everybody's you know in or or they can make it to where uh, you had a. Somebody said this, this would be kind of a cool thing where you could make a subscription deal where where somebody would be at every match um, and then they would Facebook Live those and for, you know, whatever, a subscription deal and they would have a shot timer or not a shot timer. Yeah, they would have a shot timer, but, but they would have a, have a uh, everything would be videoed. Every target would have a scope. Um, like a phone scope or something on it, you know, so where you could actually see it. And then at least these two stages with all the pressure and everything like that, everybody, you know, there's a rifle sitting behind you, you know, and you're shooting it off for first place to win a rifle or whatever. There's all this pressure and there's 150 guys watching you. I just yeah, think, I think that, that'd be really cool. I think that right there, just watching those shoot offs, is what like reassured me. Like I was like, man, I'm not. I th- I think that's the way this needs to go. Archery's already gone there, right? Uh, they they shoot the same type of deal, and then they just the top six stick around, and then they they go into the shoot offs. Yeah, I I think it'd be brilliant. Um, it'd definitely you know it'd cut it cut down. You would have the top six in, at the match. Uh, you could televise it or, like you say, have a camera on everything to where there was a subscription. Um, all kinds of endless possibilities. Yeah, I just think it, it, that way. It, it gives more flexibility. Like, there's something to video right there. There's something to watch as a competitor, as a shooter. Like, to me, yep. that's something I would watch at every match. Like, if they had that every match, I mean, I don't... It's really, really hard sometimes to sit down. And I like those NRL um, videos where they go through every stage and you watch one guy shoot every stage. But I'm sorry. It's a long video, man. Uh, that really is. And and this, you know, not that everything doesn't matter, but you've earned your spot. Yep. If you're in the top six, you've earned your spot. Um and that you know, that's the top six best shooters out of a hundred or two hundred and fifty people. Yep. And so, you know, and, and everybody's gonna be there. The, you know, it's and with these tiebreakers, what I noticed was, you know, when 
when it was decided, just the clapping, you know, the, the crowd really got into it. It was, uh, was really cool. That was something I was surprised about on every stage because it seemed like, especially day two, I had a whole group of people that were following me. Seemed like maybe it was not, maybe it was just my perception, but it seemed like there was like <laughs> like a group of people that were like, it, I maybe I don't I didn't notice that they were there before I started shooting the stage, but by the end of, I'd turn around and I'd hear a whole bunch of people clapping, you know, after you clean the stage, you know, and you're just like, yeah. Well, it was going up and down the line. Any, you know, anytime anybody cleaned the, you know, there's there was enough uh, spectators, you know, family members of shooters. Oh yeah, that they seen it clean. They were everybody they were was applaud. Every, everybody was clap, clapping. I guess I was just meaning like it seemed like it was cool because I I thought the clapping part of it like every stage clapped. Like if you heard a clean. There's people over there clapping. I mean, the ROs would start clapping. Everybody's clapping, you know. I don't know. It just is cool. I don't know. That was just cool to me. It, it seemed like there's much more, I guess what I was meaning by the people don't follow on is it just seemed like there was more people spectating, right? There was actually yeah. people watching this match. Um, Like, they were competitors, press, whatever they were. Um, they, well, you know, you... You had all of uh, the seniors and all of the uh, tactical, and, you know, you had all all those divisions that were shooting the opposite days of you watching, you know. That's true. And we I, had the same thing. Because so. I was doing it to you and to yeah. Rusty and everybody. I was always right. back there watching, clapping when you clean. Yep. That's true. So. That's that's, I mean, that that was a lot of the crowd was the shooters that were, had their day off. So, yep. I thought, man, what a drug out match this is going to be. But you know, it kind of uh, was fun for a world it championships. A it wasn't inappropriate. No, it was not because we got to see, like, for as much as I hate uh, the duration and being there for that for for just like being there man i i it just showed me how much i love shooting like everybody else want to leave and there i am running up and down dude i am addicted to this game i don't know if you noticed that like i was there and i was staying till the last round both days right so yeah it was a lot of fun day like day one both days day two both days i was there the whole time um yeah you were i don't know I, it was fun. Um, so we are only through. So I guess uh, Leon Weatherby won the tiebreaker. If you guys didn't know that, so that's third. That's what third place in tack is. So I'm gonna run through these real fast because me and Paul we get to just talking, and I want to make sure yeah, I Louise give credit where where credits due. But I I okay. do I did like that I I did like that that tiebreaker. So. The ladies, Peyton Grimes, she she definitely shot really well, and uh, um, she she won the ladies, and then Laurel Aikenhead was next, and then Allison Zane third, um, and then the senior was Rusty Olmer. He shot really well, and uh, edged out you for second. Paul Higley was second place. Pretty big deal. Um. So you and I are the bridesmaids. Yeah, well. 
<laughs> That's okay. And then third place was Andre. You know, second in the world. I'm I'm not going to complain at all. So no, I know. That's what somebody told me today in class. Like I, we just started vet school back up, and they're like second in the world, and I was. I just had to take a deep breath. Yes, yeah. I guess it is second in the world, but it's such a tough pill for me to swallow. But yeah, yeah, that's what I was. Well, I, I'm not bitter. I mean, I it was very fun. It was a great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That was it was a it was a blast. So, anyways, Andres Ledigan from South Africa was third in the senior division, and yeah. then Factory was Lawrence Borns from Great Britain. Congratulations to him. And then Perrin de... Uh, and I'm going to slaughter this name. Perrin de Govia from South Africa was second place. And then Ben McElwain from Great Britain. I can do the the British names, but man, some of the other ones, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Apparently, he was on my uh, squad. He was a real nice guy. I I enjoyed So, it. how do you say that last name? I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, Perrin. I know it's, I know it's Perrin. You know? I'm sorry, Perrin. <laughs> sorry. Uh, he'll forgive you. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but I did not, I do not have like the dictionary sounded out uh, um, phonetic or, yeah, phonetic or, or, mnemonic that's what it is the mnemonic yeah. uh deal right here so i do not know how to say that name but anyways congratulations to all the winners um they shot great uh and it's on a big stage it's on the biggest stage um that i've ever shot um people can say whatever they want uh i've been to the prs finale prs finale is big and is the toughest match in the world there's no doubt the prs finale is and still is the toughest match to win um in the world it is cool um um but but uh but this is the biggest and arguably the most important me and important not because it's important to win and and it makes you um the coolest guy in the world to win it um and i'm st- i would still say that if i was the guy that won it i like like I said, I'm not taking anything from Austin. Austin won. What I mean by important, the most important one to win, is that you win the PRS finale. You do. That's fine, right? That's cool. Um. Um. And it's not that it's important to win either one of them, but the PRS finale is cool. It's going to be here tomorrow, the next year, and the next year, and it's been here for the last twelve years or whatever, however long it's been. But the World Championships. Uh, what it does is legitimizes a sport, um, worldwide. It's an, it, the IPRF is an organization that, that allows this, it's a democratically run organization, which is required by a lot of these countries where they can't even own these guns. They can't, they can't own a firearm that looks like the ones that we have to use in this without a game to play. And the game has to be legitimate. Um, and this, this is what legitimizes this. So that's what makes this one of the important, most important things that we can be a part of. And I think that's something that us Americans didn't realize going into it. And a lot of people didn't fully grasp it and understand that that's what, that's what this is all about. 
But yeah, winning it is cool. Going there and meeting all the people is really cool. But the most important part is the fact that we're we are growing our sport on a uh, a world level, not a national level. This is a world level. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep, I mean this is this is spreading it to the human race, not just not just uh, our little corner of the globe. So, uh, I think that is pretty cool, and it was something that's super exciting for me. Uh, you know, and you know, it's one of the cool things uh, that uh, even about my podcast that I've noticed is I have a have a large listener base outside of. Um, the United States, um, you know, I think I'm still like 70%, um, us based and I could be wrong on my numbers, but I think the last time I looked, it was somewhere 72 to 74% unit us. But I mean, there's a lot of people outside of the United States that are, that are regularly listening into this podcast and, and listening. And I really appreciate you guys doing that. Um, and I hope, like I say, I can provide some, um, something to you guys. But man, this match, uh, it was a big deal, and that's and that's what I really wanted to stress is, is that, that that's why I think this is the biggest stage I've shot on is because it's the most important stage that I've shot on. Yep, I agree, Morgan. It uh, when I got home, uh, it, it you know two things. It made me proud to be American. And it also made me very thankful and humble to be an American and have my Second Amendment rights. Um, I'm going to be more of an ad- advocate for that. Uh, it's so important. Yep. To, to not have those rights to be infringed on. Yep. And. I'm definitely gonna gonna do what I can as an American to keep have the right to bear arms and 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 to push that a little harder with other people, with my family, with those to come, just how important it is because I did get to see the other other side of it and the regulations that uh, our fellow shooters have to go through some of these guys have to leave their guns at the range yeah uh they're only allowed one barrel a year or you know it's uh yeah it's kind of ludicrous what they've what they have you know the rest of the world has to go through compared to the the freedoms we have the tax on it we have the tax wow like 100 percent tax sometimes wow yeah you know, like and and their waiting times. You know, to form oh those through customs. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's why I I got rid of my brake, my chassis over there because I was like, well, the brake, whatever guys just wanted that, and I know those guys can get one. Uh, I it, would it cost them more than than I than I sold it to them? Yeah, of course, but it's it's fine. No, I but I was like, here, if you guys want it, you guys can have it. Uh, it it was it, it it. I mean, I love that break. Um, um. But then my chassis got rid of that thing because I'm like, man, anybody that need like, I don't really care, man. I, I'll get one when I get home, uh, because I can. But uh, 
Like, I wish I would have, like, next time I go, my entire gun, I will have it sold before I leave. Yeah. And I might bring an extra barrel. Definitely. Um, no reason why not to. Um, I think that's a, a great idea. I, you know, I, we, we really didn't know what we were getting into when we went, but I think, uh, I think if I qualify next time, uh, definitely going to make some phone calls and, and get some of these companies and sponsors involved. I'm sure they'd all love to be involved. There's quite yep. a few that were. Yep. Uh, I know Alpha asked us to leave our brass there, and uh, I went ahead and left uh, loaded ammo there too. You know, I I get texts back, hey, uh, you know, that's the best my gun ever shot. Oh, really? With, yeah, with with your ammo, you know. And uh, so I, you know, I had to share that with Alpha. And, uh, I, I, you know, I just. I, I, you know, it was pretty cool. It really was. Yep. Yeah, that's, that is neat. Um, tell you, man, it was just that type of stuff. It, you're right. It made me, I, the more I think about it, the more grateful I am. Like, uh, I talked to, uh, Michaela from, uh, the Czech Republic, talked to her, probably going to have her on here. And, when we were talking to them, I just, when they were saying that they, because they showed up in a hearst, and I'm like, and we asked why they were in the hearst, and they're like, well, you don't get stopped at the border or nothing with a hearst. <laughs> they don't even, they don't even care. Like, it's just the little things like that. Like, we can, we can drive what we want. We can do what we want. It's, it's an amazing, t it's an amazing thing to be an American. And, uh, I'm super grateful for that. Uh, at least for, that does it mean that we're the best country in the world or anything like that well if you ask me yes but but i'm not saying uh i'm not going to go and say that i know there's a lot of people listening from all over the world and uh and i'm I'm not i'm not trying to say that but i do i am very grateful for the freedoms that i do have as an american to be able to to play this game that we that we all love if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you're probably in that category that loves this or at least is super interested in this. And uh, and if you are listening and you're from a different country that doesn't have it now, this this match, because of this match and this organization, it could give you the opportunity to be able to take this to your um, to your country and show them that this is a legitimate sport and this is something that that you can compete for your country um, and give you the opportunity to be able to have these guns so and to be able to play this game. Um, and, and it is a fun, fun game. So, Yes, it is. And as sponsors, like next time I feel like this is, this is going to be huge. I feel like that's the one place, or that's one of the places that maybe the Ultimate Ballistics team might have um, dropped the ball a little bit is they might not have been... Uh, familiar or at least relevant in their pricing on for the sponsors right because i think they understood this is a big deal um but they and they they might have overplayed their hand just a little bit um i heard that the 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 prices to be like a stage sponsor in that were 
were maybe a little over the top, and so they didn't get any, um, if at all. And so next time, I think that uh, with a little bit of tweaking on that, we could have uh, so many sponsors involved in this. It it could be, I think it can be huge. And I and I think it would have been this time with a little bit more planning and maybe a little bit more, um, but but it was just thrown together. Be, uh, I, I shouldn't thrown together is not the right word. It was, it had to be moved because of the war in Ukraine, um, because it was, it was going to be in, was it going to be Slovenia, Turkey, or what was no, it? Slovenia? I think it was Slovenia. I don't know. No, Romania, right? I think it was Roma- Romania. No, Hungary. That's where it was. Hungary. Yeah, there you go. That one. That one. One of them Eastern European <laughs> countries. So it was going to be in Hungary. I was going to say, if you can't remember more, you're, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was going to be in Hungary. And I, like I was planning on going even when it was in Hungary. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't know how we were going to do it or when, when the qualifiers were. I just knew that that if there was two people going, it was going to be me and Austin Orgain. I knew that we were going to get the invite, period. That's all I knew, okay? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know who anybody else would be, but I just knew based on just our track record, I figured me and Austin Orgain would be, would be going in the open division, period, right? And so I was like, okay, right. so I should be planning on this. Like I thought about buying a ticket to Hungary a long time ago, but I was like, nah, I'll just wait and see what this this happens. And then it gets changed to France because of the war in Ukraine. And so because of that, they had to, which France sure stepped up and they did a good job. Um, but but it it made it to where some of these things um, weren't. Uh, the, people didn't have the time to really fully process everything, which is fine. So some things were going to get um, dropped and, and fall through the cracks, and that's okay. I think for an inaugural, I think... Uh, they know, did France, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, totally they really did. I think one of the things they did best is... Is I really for the for the what they had? If I was to compare this range to some something in the United States, I would compare this to Cool Acres in Georgia. Yeah, uh, I feel like it was exactly like Cool Acres, almost to a T. Uh, yeah, it, I I agree. Uh, yeah, if you if you haven't been to Cool Acres, uh, and you have been to the France match then you know what cool acres is like and vice versa. Uh, because it's, it's a narrow, we didn't have a lot of room, um, wide, like as far as where we could shoot into. And so there was kind of like two firing lanes, which if you've been to cool acres, it's almost the same way. There was trees blocking you on both sides. There's also trees in the middle and then there's trees on the left. So there's like three little tree lines, uh, and then you have targets that you just can't be out there too far. Just is what it is. Cool Acres has a few more berms. Yep. But that's, that's okay. Um, but other than that, they're very, very similar. 
You so, know, the, the thing that I, I'd never put two and two together, but talking to a match director, they used what they call a total station. And it's what surveyors use, but it links to the satellite. And that's how they set their targets. That was pretty you, cool. It, you know, as we ranged them, it's like, man, everything was just pretty much Spot dead on. on. It was. Yep. I, I'll give them that. So I think they did that yeah. really good. Yeah. And uh, I was really surprised. But then when I learned what they used, what equipment they used, I mean, it's a, it's a $10,000 piece of equipment. And it, and it takes an education to run one. But uh, I, I think that the, the, the match director's brother has a survey company and he come out and marked all the targets so uh, you know as being being a contractor and and knowing you know what that does and how that works they they use them here to mark out corners of buildings and offsets and they'll mark they'll do roads curb and gutter uh, all of that stuff with this machine and to use it in the match to to you know for your known distances on the targets boy i i thought that was just awesome that they used that anyway yeah. side note no i i think that's a good note because i i have it down right here um one of the one of my things in my notes is what did they do right you know and that was that's one of the things they did i when i think of in the course of fire the course of fire is what i really feel like they nailed uh i feel like they put on a championship this is a world championship level course of fire. It was not easy. It was, oh, I feel like the Americans, people don't realize, but there was, there, there was some, uh, heavy hitters at this match, right? You had, you had some of the best shooters in the world at this match. And, and we definitely made it look like it. Like, we shot a tough course of fire really well. Like, it was a tough course of fire. Now, the average range, so if I want to, I, I went through and I nerded out today. And uh, I went through and and I I got the average range for each target on day one. So each shot, I, I, I made sure I averaged each shot. So each shot taken, the average range was 424 meters, which is 464 yards. And the average target size was 1.78 MOA. So they weren't huge targets by any means. The The thing is that made the, what made that average high was the fact that there was two stages that were two minute targets. There was only two stages with two minute targets on them. And if you count a third one that was 1.95, that's yeah. that yeah. And the two stages, one of them that was two minutes was twenty a twenty round stage that was sporty to get through, and then and then there was a ten round stage that was a ten different target troop line that was two point oh three MOA average target size. So there was a couple that were over two minutes, but a bunch that were under two minutes, and then there was a um, another one. It was stage two which uh was a I'm trying to remember what stage two was i don't got my matchbook right here but anyways it was um 
gosh dang it what it wasn't it was the barrels no it wasn't the barrels um you got it it was the posts the posts so and that was this relatively easy stage but other than that all the targets like there was uh tar stage one 1.35 stage four i think this is one they dropped the ball on it, because stage four was these two bunkers that was one stage that was the one stage i thought was inappropriate for the match um meaning it just did not fit the course of fire right uh right it was a 1.3 average target size um with an average which is a distance of 400 meters uh which is that's fine i don't care about that it was 1.3 targets and it was six positions and eight eight rounds um out of these bunkers that like paul you could barely fit in there yeah it, uh, the first bunker was horizontal slots and the scope you know the rifle on a bag barely fit in there there's just centimeters for the for the clearance of the scope um yeah first the, the the one on the right was a foot off the ground so it was a little little uncomfortable to go prone you know you had to be up in, on your elbows and the one on the left was a foot from the rafters so you you know your head was bent sideways and banging on the top of the you know underneath the the bunker the bunker was a just a square box it was about all oh, three feet high what eight feet wide three feet deep yeah i think a, i think yeah it was three and, feet deep and there was there was two of these bunkers it yeah it was only three foot high three foot deep right three foot yeah, yeah. or is it three and a half i don't think it was much more than three okay so if if you if i was to so half my listeners might might know this if you've shot at k&m and you think about over on the thousand is it yeah the thousand yard line with the kyls at the end of it down that lane all the way to the to the right at k&m um you know what i'm talking about over there where the bunkers are and there's the the tie it's the railroad tie bunker thing that you have to crawl on usually you shoot off the top of it at a K at this plate rack and then you go underneath and then you shoot out of a porthole um at a KYL rack. Uh or not a KYL rack, just a plate rack. Um they're usually you shoot those squares. Um well that's similar in size um to what we were shooting out out of, maybe not quite as deep as that railroad tie thing. But uh, but the porthole size was more like the corrugated pipe that you have to shoot out of there at K and M. Um, have you shot out of that, Paul? No, they didn't have that stage. Oh man, there. there's a corrugated pipe there at uh, K and M that uh, you can't hardly fit your gun in, and if you're like oh, me man. and run a break, um, a long break with a long barrel. It's hard. Your gun will get stuck in there too, even with my little short length of pull. Mm. So, but anyways, point of the point is, is it's it was hard to fit in and in in there, and the targets were just and the positions were wobbly, um, and the targets were just small. If it was a two minute and and the, there was no backer, so and and I get it. Like I'm I I feel like. 
no backer is fine. The only problem is, is I feel like if it was a two minute plate, that that one should have been a two minute plate, right? I feel like yep. stage two should have been should could have been that one point three size target, and and uh, stage four could have been the one point nine five target average size, and then all of a sudden this match is literally flawless. There's not a, there's not a I couldn't I could not. Like on day two, I was thinking, which ones do I want to say are good good stages? And it was like all of them. Um, like, right, it was right. Just, it was good. Day two, uh, average target range was four hundred and forty nine meters or four hundred ninety one yards, and the average target size was one point eight four moa. And uh, man, it was a. I I, I just thought. It was very appropriate, uh, very difficult um, at times. But then there were certain things like when the targets were big, like when there was, like I say, on most stages, except for two, I thought like two was one stage two, day one, stage two. That's one that, that could have had a smaller target and four should have had a bigger target um, on day one. But then other than that, if they were big targets, it was also either uh, a tough position or most likely it was fast like it was a troop line that was like they had they had two eight round eight target troop lines and then they had and they were meant they were very mental too you yeah know, you, you hear were moving back and forth yep you had to find them yep they yeah. were, there was uh yeah so there were three three out of the four troop lines were not in a row <laughs> yeah well and I even the one that, that was in a row even the yeah. one that was in a row was an eight target troop line and then there yep. was uh so there was two it really wasn't in a row it was panning yeah so. yeah yeah it was but i mean they were somewhat easy in the fact that there was a marker by everyone with a number that which right. i think if you're going to do for any mass directors listening if you were going to do a 10 target stage you have to have numbered um target indicators by them especially if you're like on this range um, that is just like, it's like on laser leveled ground, right? So yeah. it's just flat. So they all, I mean, you can't tell if it's 900 or if it's 200 essentially. So, uh, you just can't, there's not a lot of depth perception because of, uh, if the sizes are similar, it's just, it looks, you know, almost the same. So anyways, yeah, you have to, uh, if you're, I guess, there was, but back to what I was saying, there's 10, there was two 10 target troop lines and two eight target troop lines that, and I felt like, honestly, I mean, I love troop lines, right? But these are 90 second, 10 target troop lines. Like you had to dial every, I mean, yes, did I do good on them? Yeah, I cleaned, I dropped two points in those four stages. Yeah. And both of the two points that I dropped were on the eight target troop line oh no sorry i dropped one point one point it was on day two so i only dropped yeah, one sure will. on those on those four stages which that is to me even thinking about it now that's 36 rounds at different targets in um not a lot of time right so that's six minutes and then 36 different targets i guess is that right? Well, if if you yeah. want to uh, add that up, that's twenty meters of running too. 
Oh yeah, true. Because it, <laughs> yeah, it's, the start of every stage, you had to start five meters back from the firing line. Yeah, um, a lot of people weren't figuring that out, and I finally, because me and you shoot with a, a shot timer constantly, yeah. right? And so I think about we think different, which I think this is one of the another one of those good arguments for a shot timer is we think differently because of it. I think differently yeah, you, because of it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, because we know how much time it takes to move that five yards. You know, uh, it, it essentially for me made a eighty eighty second stage. That's exactly what I told people. You have to think of these as eighty second stages because you're. So I mean, because we do this a lot at home, and and to break a position, it takes one to two seconds. To per step takes about a half to one second. Yeah. So if you have four steps between um, a position, and you, so you have to shoot. So let's just take two set two, and and we do this because I I know what to set my timer for and all that t- type of stuff based on me and and I know what to expect for myself. Um, but say I'm standing directly behind a position and I start right with the Brant built. Um, concept still um, I'm probably going to be somewhere between six and a half and seven and a half seconds for a good trigger pull um, probably more like I want to be seven and a half to eight seconds ish um, to have a perfect one in practice but that used to be nine seconds um, and seven and a half was pretty fast now now about six to six and a half is pretty relatively fast but but still perfect um, but in practice, I'm probably going to try to shoot for more like eight because I know I can go fast. Fast is not my problem. So uh, eight. So if I make eight seconds and then I break position, now I'm at 10 seconds. And then if I got to move four steps, I'm about three seconds, probably four. So so that means and then I get back into and then redo that eight seconds again. So that's 16 yeah. plus six. So that's 24 seconds for two positions. Can I do it faster? Uh-huh. Yeah, I can do it faster. Uh, most of the time we do on the barricade, that's a two-step position. Uh, or on on those tie, railroad ties are at Tony's place at the Northern Utah Precision Rifle um, match range. Um, that's a two-step deal, so that's more like 22 seconds. But yeah, I can do it in 16 Um but most of the time when you're doing them, you're right around 20, right? So we know that because I can haul ass if I need to, but that, but I don't need to. Most of the time, though, when, when I'm practicing, though, I'm shooting for that 20 to 24 second range, and that's where you and I are both at usually. But you can also do it. Yeah, you'd usually do it if we we're going fast, though, in like 18 seconds, though, right? <laughs> Yeah, I've been known to do it, but I sure didn't do it over there because I was, you know, I, I felt like the, my my hit percentage was what's, you know, that that was going to be my game as I I timed out a lot. I think I only finished uh, three or four stages. Yeah, well, and, it was and, it was tight, like eighty seconds is tight. Yeah, and that's yeah, where it was. And, and if I let that clock get in my head, I knew my hit percentage was going to go down. So. <laughs> drastically so i yeah. didn't really worry about the clock i worried about you know about the trigger pull and uh making the shot and uh, that's what kept me in the game yeah 
Well, you shot. I mean, you shot really good. It's just you you just hit the targets you shot at. You know, it just sucks because uh, I don't. I do. I do. I do think that's one place where I think for Americans it was great, right? Because it made it stressed us and it made us think in in that. But but because of that five yard run, right? Be, or at least five yards. Sometimes it was farther, depending on the angle. You know. Well, yeah, that stage seven and eight on day one. Yeah, you that's had, so much movement. You know, if you if you stopped at started at the bottom of the stairs. That had still been more than five yards, and we started five yards before the stairs. It was so almost was, ten for that. Yeah, I was. I would say close to yeah ten. It was 10 probably meters eight or, or nine is what I think it yep, really was to to get to your first shot. Yep, and and that right there that took. I mean that 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 takes per meter. You know, you're probably twelve steps. I'm guessing to get there. It's dang near cutting. You're 10 seconds. I mean, no, because, I mean, we're running. I mean, most likely it's only adding six seconds. But, but, I mean, you think of how many times you had to run around, like, that stage seven and eight. um, There was this long stage where it was 20 rounds, and it was nine positions with a mag change. So uh, your, your fifth position, you changed mags, and that was your... Or yeah, your fifth position you changed mags, and that was a new position. So I was position yep. five and six, shall we call it? And so there was ten, ten positions ish. I mean, there's really only nine positions, but the the mag change was counted as almost a, like a position, and you just went f- yeah. far near or near near far, near far, near far, all the way from each position. From each position. Um, and, and it was 20 rounds. I mean, it was a barrel burner, but it was fun. It was a fun stage. Um, you know, can, can you say that you you can have the same stage be your favorite and your least favorite? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because it was, I, I love the stage, but man, it was a bottleneck on day one. Yeah. I like, I guess I, I have that. So my favorite my favorite stages we've already talked about one of them stage 10 which was a 10 round troop line uh, uh that was but an honorable one of my honorable mentions was that 7 8 it was just great another honorable mention was one of those 8 round troop lines that was just a good stage but stage yeah. 1 on day 1 that was probably one of my favorite stages which is crazy cuz it was t- it were tiny targets 0.35 targets or 1.35 um, MOA, not very, not very far, but they were, the wind was uh, so tricky uh, that it made anything small tough. Now you mentioned the wind. Yeah, it was there all four days. Yeah, and it was like, it was, it was blowing, it. not, it wasn't like a little soft wind. It was blowing pretty good. And a headwind. Yep, it was a headwind. It was a, you know, so 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock. Yep. Sometimes you get a switch three times in a stage. Uh, so and and Mirage was slow to catch up with it. Yeah, you had to find something else to look at, which I did. Uh, I would always yeah. try to get up yeah, to a stage and figure something out. Tall grass. There was stuff to look at. There. It'd have been nice to have a flag or two downrange. You know, just a ribbon or something to to watch. 
Yeah, but how often do you have that in real life? So I get that. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have took it all day long. I'm just saying. Right. I'm just playing devil's <laughs> well, advocate. It had been nice. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice. Do I think it's needed? No, because you can find that blade of grass, that you know, that little piece of something out there. There's always a little something or something floating in the air. Yeah. Um, but you know, you shoot, you shoot the close target, and and, and say you miss. And the dust is blowing left to right. And then you say, okay, I'm going to correct that. And you go on the far target and the dust is blowing completely different out there. You know, yep. so it's a, that little break in the trees out there, you know, was, uh, was a game changer. And if, if you didn't get that one figured out, boy, it could beat you up yep. really quick. Stage one anyway. was this kind of cool deal where you had to shoot in these little porthole thingies or... Yeah, and then you, or you had to shoot over top of something else. Um, so it was either you shot in between like a two doors, and you had to shoot like weak handed in some weird little way, or you and you could fish your gun barrel through, and you can't couldn't touch the uh, the, the the prop the prop with anything, and your bipod couldn't be outside of this little deal. And I'm not going to explain it properly, but it's basically like you it, it was forcing you to improvise somehow um you couldn't you couldn't just shoot standard prone and so what i did is i thought well i'm just gonna take two tripods up there one with a tack table on it well basically two tack tables is what essentially it is because i just used the qdt the vet two vets qdt with the 75 millimeter um hole in it and then just took the head off and then put and i i like that for the front support and then i used the qdt or no, not the not QDT. The two vets, uh, V two recon, um, and I use that with the tack table on it, um, in the rear. Um, so I basically had tack table front with a plate bag on, and then I used a, a sh or not a sh medium, a full size game changer with get light fill in it on the rear on a tack table in the back, for position two. Position one, I had a bipod on because you could have a bipod and then sneak your barrel um, around this door and shoot um, around the door on that one. But then position two, you had really this little tiny two-inch window. You would have to shuffle your bipod all the time, and you could get it prone, but it was like it was going to yeah. be if you touched it all, then you didn't get the points, and, and the guy was well, watching, I... and... If you yeah, touch, then it, you might throw your round, and I was just like, "No, nah, I'm not doing that's that." That's how I that's how I did it, and and that was it was the conversation with me and the RO was definitely, uh, you know, a time waster. Yep. I I did get uh, all but one of the hits that I shot. And I got six off and got five for the stage for the eight round stage. Yep. Um, but I did. I tried to squeeze it in that little. He says, "Oh, you're touching." I says, "Am I touching now?" Nope, you're good. And then I'd pull the trigger, and then I'd move to the next target. And he, oh, you're touching. I says, am I touching now? <laughs> yep. And see, that's and, where uh, I saw and that, that. That wasted time, you know. It yeah. really did. So, yeah, I, w I wish I'd have done the tripod thing on that one. Could I have done it? Probably. Right? I finished with 15 seconds left. Um, yeah. Managing two tripods, right? Like, everybody's like, oh, two tripods. I'm not going to, you're not going to finish with that. May or maybe it was ten seconds, but and I had both of them in one hand, and then I had my rear bag in in the same hand. 
I just walked up yeah. and chucked both tripods, not chucked them, but I set them there. And then I walked around and then I jogged around the back around the prop to where I needed to be. Cause you had to, I mean, it was, they were, it was five yards apart, you know, each position and, and there was some obstruction you had to run around. And then I, I, I laid down, shot the first four. You had to shoot four targets from each position, right? So you shot, I shot the four targets and then I moved, and then I moved positions and I didn't dump my tri bipod. Um, I left it way out on the spigot on my, on my gun and had the, um, plate bag behind it. And I just ran over there, put my plate bag on top of it, pulled the tack table behind, put my bag on it. And then there I was again, modified prone and then went through the things again and cleaned it. You know, I, I had, I had watched, uh, um, I had watched, um, Matt Partain do the same thing. And I was like, ah, that's easy. I'm good with tripods. Um, I, I really like, um, um, tack table, tack table. I think that's, that's a really great way, especially on little targets to do it. I just didn't want to fart with the, um, with trying to fish my barrel and my brake and everything through that little tiny hole and, and, I, uh, I, fight I with the RO. For the, uh, well, and that, I really think that the RO allowed that to happen and it probably, sh it wasn't, uh, and talking to the match. It wasn't director. supposed to. It wasn't. You weren't supposed to go prone. It was supposed to be shot over that horizontal. Which is fine. Grade. It is totally fine. Uh, yeah. I, because well, it didn't matter. Well, everybody got to shoot it the same way. So, yeah. You know, but. And, but it, the guys that it, cleaned it, a lot of them, like, a lot of guys were just doing, which I could have done it and you could have done it too, and we could have cleaned it just fine. Um, just using one tripod and putting a bag yeah. on there. A bushman cleaned it doing that. No, him he might drop one. I it doesn't matter. He he shot he shot it well with a tripod. There was plenty of people that just went up there with a with a tack table or might have locked in. I don't even know. I th oh Rusty I think cleaned it with a with um the two vets QDT because I used his two vets QDT because I didn't bring mine and he just yeah. he does the same thing I do just takes the 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 well, head off. Know. And then you got this big old platform, and he I think he just put his bag on there and shot it with no tack table in the back. And that works completely fine. I, I But I just know me, and if I can get that much more stable, I'm going to. Yeah. Um, just because, for an insurance policy. So, but anyways, that was, I thought that was a great stage. That's how they, I thought they really did good on that. So... Day two. So you said your favorite was seven and eight, right? Yeah. Perfect. Day two, my favorite had to be uh, stage one. I thought that was a that stage one's that 10 round troop line uh, that was way out there. I thought that was probably that was the most excited clean I had of the match probably. I was pumped on that one. I was scared of that stage, uh, because and and the only reason is because the time of flight was so far, and right. uh, that was one of the harder ones because the targets were so on day one that same that same stage was, uh, target size was. Let me see what was it. Uh, do I have it? Yeah, two point one MOA. 
And then uh oh no, that's day day one day one or let's see, day one. I'll tell you what it was. Cause I got it. Oh yeah, it was it was stage uh, ten on day one. Yeah, it was two point oh three MOA um average target size on 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 day one and it was the average range was uh, 552 meters. On day two, average range was, um, 538 meters, and the average target size was 1.7. So it was a definitely a tougher stage when you started at 200 and went to 900 meters, whereas on day one you started at like 400 and went to 700. It was it was a lot yeah. friendlier stage on day one. Day two, it was tough, um, and so that's why I was like, "Man, I'm a little bit." I was, I was definitely, I knew I needed to clean this stage to win, and I, well, I didn't actually, but I, I knew I, I, that it, it was would put also me in good shape. To move on. Was it really? I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> good thing you hit them all. Huh? Yeah, that would have been bad. Well, maybe I didn't. I just can't remember that because I just yeah. The, t the targets must be engaged once each, near to far, hit to move on. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well. Uh. So. Yeah. But I I just thought that was a I thought that was a really good stage. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I I done I done fairly decent on it. I finished with fifteen seconds left or more on that one. Maybe it was eighteen. Cause I was that scared of that stage. I was just like, boom. And I dialed everything. But if you guys have seen my turrets, um, I get this question a lot. Um, probably talked about it before I have. And if you have a Mark five and you want the thing that I have on my turret, it's just a label. Just email me or not email me. Just message me on Facebook or Instagram and I'll send it you, uh, a copy of it. All it is is a label that I print on a on a uh, shipping label. Um, you print it on your regular printer, and then you cut it out, and it goes right over top of your turret, and it replaces the the numbers on your turret. And then you put packing tape over top of it, and then you can put wet erase markers, and it and it's white. But it it's basically you. It's got the lines and the numbers, everything that's already on your scope. It just replaces it with a white label. That then you can then with if you put packing tape on it and I if you if you like end your packing tape, so what I do is I put the label on and I end the tape at like four mils or five mils, and then I turn the turn I get another piece of tape another layer and go the other direction and end it at like nine point five mils or something like that. Um, then then when say that the one layer wears out you can just take it off and it won't peel the one layer off and then you can put a new layer of tape on it um but anyways it just makes my turret into a white erase board essentially that i can then yeah, use wet erase cool. markers or grease pens or whatever i use and then i can write them all in there and so i had all of them written down with the numbers above it and so i just would dial the next number and then just you just go one line, next line, next line, next line. Rusty Ulmer just puts a dot. He has a little tiny strip under his, and he puts a dot everywhere. It doesn't really matter. However you do it, 
but it is pretty next level to have that. Uh, Chad, see me doing it at a match once. Um, Chad Heckler, guy that runs uh, Miles to Matches podcast. Um, me and Chad are really good friends. And uh, anyways, he see me doing that once, and he goes, "Hey, uh, think I well." He he was like trying to come up with another another uh, um basically another way um basically at re re remake the wheel type deal and uh reinvent it yeah yeah and uh then finally he's like i think i think what you got's the thing so now all of a sudden now he, he i'm pretty sure he runs the exact i the one i sent him so if you guys ask me i'll give you the exact one that me chad run that paul should run but doesn't for some reason yeah, well, I'm a slow learner, you know. Anything to save some time why, for an old man. Why do you you won't send do that it. to me. Yeah, why don't you send that to me? I see the light now. Yeah, you want to you want to send me a, <laughs> a a message on Facebook or Instagram? And I'll send it. To you. I, I'm do, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yes, sir. So I, I see the I see the errors in my ways for sure. What's the What was your favorite stage on day two? Oh, you know, it's the good old barrels. Oh, that was a good they stage. Were, they were wooden barrels, solid as can be. And, uh, of course, you got one standing up, you got one sideways, and you got one long ways. And three shots from each, three targets. Yep. You had to shoot and, three different uh, targets from each position. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that was, you know, I, I moved pretty fluent through it. Uh Probably because I shot this. Well, you know, I shot all those. That day two, we had tank traps. We had the barrels. It was had, familiar. It was very, you know, we had a barricade. We had a rooftop. Uh, they, they were all very familiar props. And uh, I had a ball on day two. Yep. And I think one thing that I, talking to match director, or now I'm, now I'm looking at, all you match directors that are listening to this, if there is any, uh, I cannot stress enough how appropriate the target sizes were at this match. And, and, uh, the time limits, they, they, they were, I think they were too tight for an international match. They were, they were perfect for the Americans, right? The Americans, it was great. It stressed me, but I only timed out one time on one round. Uh, I most stages I I ran my timer. Shout out to Chad again. I run his five by five precision uh, timer with a dope card on it. When times get tight, I always pull that thing out because it'll keep me on track. Uh, I run that, um, and uh, anyways. Um, so I feel like they stressed me, but they, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't break me. I couldn't for a lot of the troop lines, right? Uh, if the wind would have been really sporty, it would have been tough to really process all that information and get through it. Um, but I really feel like this match should have been two minute stages in light of the competition, right? These were people that had, some of them I talked to people like there's a guy from Germany I talked to. He says, This is my first match. Uh you know, there was 
people that they're not used to this level and this difficult of a of a course of fire. It was a great course of fire. Now what they did do right, um, and I'm not saying that that was wrong. It, it was great for a world championship, and so maybe that and that was their thought process probably is that it's a world championship. And I think they were worried about making sure that they did they like the Americans didn't come and clean the course of fire. I think that was one of the they just were like, well, we got to make sure that we 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 make sure the Americans don't um, clean the course of fire. I think everybody expected the Americans to come in and clean house. Which, yeah. which, which, if you think about it, the opportunity that we have, I mean, it was just going to happen. I do, do I think we're going to walk away? Which I don't think we did walk away with it. If you look at it, uh, there were some really good shooters from um, Scandinavia and South Africa, um, Australia, uh, um, kid from Lithuania in my stage. Uh, Mindegas was really yeah. good. Yeah, all the Scandinavians, Sweden. Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Yeah, they were great shooters. Uh, so I don't think next time. I think those guys they see what we can do. They see, uh, they've seen it. All right, we showed them like, hey, this is what can be done. Um. So, uh, you know, that's I think in uh. In two years, when we see these boys again, it won't be the same match. It'll be, it'll be definitely tough, and 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 it'll be tough to beat these guys, because they're gonna go back and they're gonna they're gonna work on it. They they seen. I think they've also seen things that we did, and I heard somebody say like the gear gap is huge, and I don't believe that that's the case. Like I saw everybody I saw that was a good shooter, right? Didn't matter the country, they had the right gear. Right, these yeah. guys, these guys listen to you know the podcasts out there, the Miles to Matches podcast, the, this podcast, the um, VP Precision. Like they they know what gear needs to happen. They watch the YouTube videos. They see what we have, um, and they go, "Okay, I need this is what I need." And and then they also have in their countries, like the Swedish boys, they have a um, a bag. There was a bag company there, like uh, um, Robert Pervins had. Um, dude, that it was it was a it was basically a game changer. Uh, I mean, I couldn't tell the difference um, as far as like quality and the feel of it. It was it was very good. And then most people had regular old Armageddon gear stuff, and so um, yeah, it was it was cool to see that that they had the right gear. They had they had all that. Now it's just a matter of like execution well and they do have youtube and they do have the podcast you know these these are things that and you know the shooters in america coming up you know the new shooters you, you look at how fast uh these guys are excelling now um me myself i had like a, a three-year just plateau I wasn't getting any better. Of course, I was I was putting on matches too, you know, for just for you know, say that for my sake. Uh, but I wasn't getting any better. Yeah. Um, I had the positions down. I knew what gear I wanted to use, but there was just some little things that I was missing. And you know, um, with your help and and 
your podcast and watching YouTube and stuff, I've, you know, I've been able to, to pick up my game a little. So, but I'm, I'm looking like, uh, we'll take Brady Allison for, for example, he, you know, he hadn't been in this business very long and, you know, he just took third of the national match the other day. Yeah. And he's won. Yeah. He's yeah. won two of them, maybe one of them. Yeah. He's just, man. Yeah. Who is this guy? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it took, took you a lot longer to get there. You know? Well, I didn't have, I had information, right? There's guys doing it, but there wasn't guys definitely freely. Like, I don't know. No. I, I just, yep. I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not the type that holds back, right? I feel like I want to make, if somebody wants to get better and somebody wants to listen, I'm totally willing to tell them. I'm not going to make a living training people how to, how to shoot. Um, that's just not right. going to happen. This is a fun game to me and I have, a, I'm passionate about it and I want to help people. So, um, like, yeah, if I put on a training, I have to make a little bit of money, right? Uh, it just is what it is. But, um, but, uh, but it's all, it's all available. Yeah, it's here. available. And I, and I'll, I'll teach, I'll show people. It, it, obviously, you can get more in person, you know, like, yeah, it, it just is what it is. But I'm going to, but I'll, I'll answer questions. I'll do my best to, to give people all the information I can and explain it the best of my abilities. But, but I was trying to tell somebody the other day um, um, that also runs um, a podcast. I was like, man, uh, holding back doesn't get you anything, I don't think, because people don't see what you know and how it can help them. Because you got to give them, you got to show them, like, like this is it. Like, and I don't hold, I don't hold back anything. I'm not trying to sell anything or sell training or do anything like that. I'm on this show. This is just a place where I can get on and say what i think when i think it and and not not have any censorship or anything and uh um and so i'm not trying to sell anything or do anything like that um but uh people when they see like hey and they and they try to apply things that you tell them like right you don't hold back they they see okay hey man this is this is what he says to do and they go try it and they see that it works and then they they have more questions and all that stuff that you're just never going to be able to get to it's just going to make them say like hey this guy's got something figured out and he's got a training um because the person i was talking to they do trainings and stuff uh as well that you know they have this training what if i go there how much more i just listened to the podcast could you imagine how much more i would learn if i was in person and go and listen to them there and have them show and explain to me what they mean by certain things. That's yep. a, you know, that to me does more than just, by, than holding back and saying, well, uh, I'll save that one for the class, you know, or something like that, you know, <laughs> like that to me, that, that to me is just tacky, but that's just my own opinion. Um, so I try not to do that. Uh, so, well, and whoever you squad with too, and and you know we we both do that. We try and help anybody we can that's uh, that that wants to listen. You know, I, yeah. I I noticed on day one about uh, oh two or three stages into it, I I had a guy follow me that uh, I started just saying, hey, you know, 
watch watch that and wh where I left off and what I was holding and and his hit percentage started going up and and you know by the end of the day I had four or five guys looking back at me before they were starting you know yep that's funny because <laughs> what do you what do you think you know and now that you say and, that go ahead sorry yeah and day two it was it was like a clinic you know I was just it it was a lot of fun you know and they the, the biggest thing I regret is everybody come up and did a selfie with me. And I just, yeah. on the way home, I'm thinking, man, why didn't I pull my phone out and get a picture? I too? think of you that know? constantly. Just, I'm like, man, I just, why I just didn't I get those pictures? There, why know? didn't I get the pictures? And I, so if anybody's listening uh, to this podcast, me and Paul, if you were in our squads or you took selfies with us um, and you're listening, please Please send them to us, because uh, yeah, it I mean, so I always, me and I, I think Paul's I, in the same boat as me. We were just thinking about shooting, and yeah. uh, and we, and so like a lot of times, I didn't even have my phone on me. Mine was in my backpack, and then somebody would, like want to take a picture, and I ain't got my phone with me. So you know, you take pictures, and we didn't got none. I feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I leave my phone to where you know if it's ringing, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be distracted. I wanna, I wanna shoot. And uh, mine was in my backpack. I yeah. broke mine shooting before, so mine I always put it in my backpack so it doesn't break. Yeah, but that's my biggest regret is all the selfies I took with people around the world that I didn't have my phone to take a selfie with them. You know, to get it on my phone, and so. Like you say, if you're if you're listening and we did a selfie, send it to me. I've had a few send them to me, and thank you so much because uh, it's a lifetime of memories. Uh, oh man! But anyway, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so yeah, it was a lot of speaking. Fun. Speaking <laughs> of that, like you talk about somebody, Beatrice um, Baldo. Um, on my squad, yeah. she shot after me, and on day one, I looked at her scores, and she like, I think she shot a a twelve, like a total of twelve hits, on day one. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I and I didn't, and like I say, I, I I didn't really on day one. I was just shooting, and I'd me and Robert Purvins, we talked a lot, and Mindigus because I shot after Mindigus. Um, but I always felt like I was bugging Mindigas because I'd be like, hey, dude, what are you going to hold first? And he'd, he'd like turn around and look at me like, what? And I'd be like yelling at him, hey, yeah. hey, what are you going to hold? You know, and like I was trying to do that and trying to get people to work together. But I couldn't tell if people wanted to or not. And I think it, I think they did, but I just didn't think they realized like I would literally tell tell you anything, give you my bag, give you my ma – you could have my gun and shoot my gun. I didn't care. Like I will do anything to help anybody. I don't care. Like – if they're going to beat me or not, I'll be the first one to shake your hand, I promise you, if you beat me. Yeah. Like, I just, like, if I'm beat first, fair and square, I will shake your hand every time. You know, I, I that to me is something that's important. Um, um, but anyway, so, like, I, yeah, Beatrice, I just started to turn around because I could tell she was struggling, and I didn't look at the scores till afterwards. But uh, uh, I see, you know, uh, I'm like, hey, look, you got to, and she couldn't um, speak great English, but and her husband could speak some English. And so he would translate it. And then pretty soon we got this, this system of how I would tell her where to hold. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden she starts, like she quadrupled her score on day two. 
Um, yeah. Because I just started to, when I don't, I don't know if it's because of me, but I started telling her, at least giving her wind calls, and all of a sudden now she's hitting more targets. So I'd like to think that it was partly because I was helping her. Um, but yeah, she she shot really, really good um, on day two. And they ended up, um, the Italian women's team ended up winning third overall in the in the women's team division. So I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe I had yep. a little small part in that, hopefully. I'm just kidding. I can't take any credit. She just, she's the one pulling the trigger and shot really good. Um, but I just thought that was, that was pretty neat to be able to see that. Yeah, um, it was, that was definitely, you know, one of the highlights was, uh, helping people, you know, pulling, pulling a squad together that, you know, half of them didn't speak English or if they did, it was broken. Yeah. Uh, and trying to to work through those barriers and and help your 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 fellow man out and and you know and and it was coming back to me in return too because you know the guy in front of me same thing uh, yep you know we we started communicating and it was yeah I think I think it, it was a lot of fun yeah and if if Mindogas is listening. Uh, uh, I appreciate it. You know, you, you helped me out quite a bit, you know, even though it may, might not seem like it, you definitely, uh, you know, I, I knew watching him shoot, he didn't, he didn't, uh, get most, most of his rounds off. Like he, he timed out on almost every stage, but his hit percentage was, it was there and he was shooting correctly. Like mechanically he was doing it right. So I knew I could trust what I was seeing when I, when I, when I would watch him. So I knew like I could watch this round go and I knew, okay, yep, that's this. And, uh, man, it was, and that was nice. And then I could, we could communicate. And I think towards the end, he realized that like, I I really like, I wanted his help and, but I was also willing to give whatever I had as well, you know, and not that I had much, you know, it's not like I have anything that anybody else doesn't have, but I'll definitely tell you what I'm seeing. And, if it's left to right, right to left, whatever, I will, I'll, I'll try, you know, my hardest. And, and I think, I think you've seen that. So we were able to work together a little bit and I appreciated his, his help. So, um, I just want to hurry and take a minute, explain, cause plenty of people have asked me like, uh, cause I, I ended up second fair and square. That's no, no doubt about that. Uh, I did not, I did not win. Um, but uh, I did have a gun issue that cost me winning for sure. Uh, one of the easiest stages of the match, and what I mean by easiest stage of the match is it had the largest average target size of the entire match, which was 2.2, um, 2.2 MOA average target size. Um, which yeah, let me see, let me make sure I'm I'm telling you that right. No, yes. Yeah, that was their right hand, yep, left hand. Two point two average target size, um, which was the largest, which was a tie for the largest target size of the entire match. Um, <clears throat> it was a two point three and a two point one MOA target, um, and uh, all I needed to hit was one more target. <laughs> but I I got a carbon ring. I I bore scoped it tonight. Um, just a little bit earlier and i'm pretty sure it's a carbon ring and it's a pretty solid ring of carbon right there um i i had some rounds that were a little tough to chamber um 
And I think that's just because, yeah, they were doing that. And, uh, the, and I was blowing primers clean out of the back of the case. I don't know how my rounds were feeding because the primers were falling. There was no primer in the back of the case. I, um, so I don't even know where they went. Yeah, I don't know yeah. where they went. I don't know. So they didn't end Gen- up in my generally action. Generally, something like, yeah, something like that happens. It's, uh, you know, stuck in your action somewhere. Yep. But they weren't stuck yeah. in my action. So I'm guessing the primers didn't pop because there was nothing in my bolt. So they must not yep. have popped, and then they just it just stretched the back of that case, and the primers came falling out. I think after they got out of the out after of the gun, they rejected. So yeah. I think I you know I don't know how fast they were going, but I'm guessing that I all of a sudden was going dang near light speed because I didn't hit hardly anything on those huge ass targets. And no, you were everywhere. It was all over the place, and uh, I turned around, and I remember looking at you and Rusty, and I said, Rusty, you got to find the match director because we got to clear, make sure I can use somebody else's gun, and me and Paul, let's run. we got to go zero your gun because i got to use your gun for the last stage because this is not working. Uh, I know who loaded Paul's ammo, and I know I've shot that gun. I know that reticle. The only thing is, is it was right-handed, but I didn't care. I can work through. It was a prone stage. And it, but it was two TYLs, and I was not shooting a gun that was about to blow up. It was a safe. I like I told the master director, I said it's a safety violation or it's a safety issue. I mean, I don't know when my gun's gonna blow. Like, do you want me to keep shooting it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, anyways, I dropped six points on that, which was uh, one too many. Um, it just is what it is, and that cost me winning. Uh, winning the whole thing by quite a few points because I, I figured that the most that I would drop on that stage was two. And I figured the most I would drop on the next stage was two. And I got a seven on the TYLs, which was a good score for that stage. They were tiny, um, at 400 and 750. I missed the smallest or no, the second smallest, uh, second. Uh, at 750 and had to re-engage cause it was hit. It was hit to move on. So, I re-engaged that one. That was a 1.2 MOA plate at 750 meters, so 800 yards, um, and uh, which is fine. I that that's a great score. I will take that. Um, um, but then um, it hurt because I knew I I got off that stage and I was done. And he had um, Austin Bushman had two stages left, and he he uh, just had to clean two easy stages, and he did so. Uh, but and I but everybody to his credit everybody's watching, all the pressures on him. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. So I made sure I wanted to be there to congratulate him and and let him know he did a good job. So I made sure and anybody that's watched the video or whatever they know that I was the first guy to to uh, shake his hand. And I think that's something that's it's important. I mean, in whatever you're playing, to know that like at the end of the day. Uh, you where you finish at a match doesn't define you, but how how you act at the match and as a man that's what that's what defines you. So I want to be a good sportsman. Yeah, you were the first one there. It was uh, good to see. So it was tough. I mean, I will I will tell you right now. I mean, it was not easy watching it go, but uh, no. But he he definitely deserved it, you know. His everything worked. I mean, I've never shot so good and lost. I said that plenty of times because I really, 
I really shot well. I uh, shot very, very good. I only dropped two points going into that, and I only legitimately dropped three points um, on day two. Um, and I don't know how many I would have dropped, but I don't think I would have dropped six on that stage if my gun would have been functioning properly. Uh, yeah, I wish I would have um, switched guns sooner, I guess, because I did have one primer come out two stages before, but I thought thought maybe that was because my barrel was getting hot and maybe the rounds are getting hot and it was a fluke but it was not a fluke it was a carbon ring and i just didn't have the i was worried about shooting a match and making sure everything was going and i'm not used to a carbon ring and dealing with that because they're very rare anybody that says they have a carbon ring and haven't bore scoped it and checked it's likely they don't have one it's super super rare that's why i wanted to get home and bore scope it and make sure that that's what it was before i started really telling people definitively that's what it is um but definitely definitely is a carbon ring well yeah it was uh it was definitely a case of bad luck it was a case of bad luck but it is what it is like say uh should i have won Yes, I mean, everybody, anybody there knows that I shot very, very well and was well on my way to winning that match. Clay to, Clay said right before I shot that stage, um, he, I guess he turned to somebody, somebody was standing there, I don't know if it was you or Rusty or somebody yeah. said, said, he said that he said, uh, man, the only way any one of us wins this match is if Morgan's gun blows up. Because they just knew what stages I had left, and it was I was gonna be fine. And uh, sure enough, you know, sure enough, because I had thought I had thought, and 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 maybe it's because I looked at the scores and I thought this, but I was like, man, it'd take an act of God to lose this match. And by dang, if that didn't happen, gotta watch what you say, Morgan. Yeah, well, I didn't say it out loud. It was in my mind, you know. Right, right. But it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. That's not, like, that's just a case of dumb <laughs> luck. And it's dumb luck that happened, like I said, on the biggest stage I've ever yeah. pulled the trigger at. And it you're sucks gonna keep that it You're going to keep shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor? 100%. I shoot that thing <laughs> good. I don't care what anybody yeah, says. Yeah, you do. Uh, you do. Uh, I can... I'll I'll bet you clean it the night you know every night though. <laughs> nah, no, I, I might make sure I got a borescope with me to check, but uh, I'll definitely yeah. like I'll tell you right now, and maybe and what I'm do you not trying to cause that. I don't know. I I really don't. Do I've thought about it. Was, uh, no, I don't. The virgin brass. I mean, just no that, that neck being a little bit shorter. No, John John mentioned that, but I don't think so. Uh, for what, what we're talking about is generally the more space you have between the, the start of the, the lead angle, um, basically the end of the chamber and the, the end of your brass, the more, the more space you have there, the more surface area you have for your carbon to start building up. And so actually the longer your cases are, the least, the least likelihood you have of, uh, getting a carbon ring. And so if you're able to know like, oh, I have you know, a hundred thou, then you never really have to trim your cases other than to keep them. You want them to be consistent, obviously. 
Um, right. So if you can have a chamber that, say, there's only 50 or 20 thou of space in between there, you're going to have less likelihood of having carbon ring. At least that's the way um, me and John Pinch were talking the other day, and he's saying that that's something that um, he's seen. He's just drilled. He'll drill out the back of a case and then put a borescope through it and see how much room he has. He's done that before. But anyways, um, I want to talk about, I said I want to talk about a listener question, um, one or two every time, and make sure we have them on there, uh, on here anyways. And I thought this was a good thought-provoking question, and so I want to talk about it with you because, well, well, I think it's something we, me and you talk about all the time. So uh, this is from Dylan Todd, me and Dylan shot um, the uh, the New Hampshire match last month together. Um, he's a good shooter, um, one of the best shooters from that region, um, and he shot really well there. Um, I was really impressed with the way he shot. Um, he's only, I think he's 21. I think he just turned 21. He's young, super young. Uh, stayed at his house, um, after day two, drove down, um, and stayed there at his place. Um, but anyways, he just said, uh, good job overseas. Um, Team USA kicked butt. Um, I have a question and think you'd know the answer. How do I pick up the occasional one to two points I drop on stages like I'll clean two, then drop one to two on the next three that should have been impacts? So he's basically saying, how do I how do I keep from dropping onesies and twosies on stages that I should clean because I know that normally I would clean them or I have the ability to clean them, but something is keeping me from doing it. Good question. That is a good question, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, what 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 would you say? What would I say? Well, you, it's it's the little things. You got to you know start with that trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that uh, he knows how to set up. You know what bag to use if he's going to use a tripod. He's probably very seasoned in that. But, you know, we've talked about this before, and uh, it's just having the discipline to make the right trigger pull. Because I think that, I think with everybody, that's a lot of it. Yeah, 100%. I I think that is one of the biggest things. If you guys haven't seen my one-shot drill, or Dylan, I know you have seen my one-shot drill video because you told me about it. literally two texts ago when I'm looking at my texts here. Um, so I know you've seen that. I think that's a place to start, right? I think the other thing is, is that me and Paul have talked about a lot is, um, being mentally prepared for every stage and how to do that. So you need to have a mental process in place. Like for me, uh, and, and a guy commented on this, uh, which is really, I thought it was super cool. Um, yesterday I got, I was driving home from, or driving, not home, but I was driving to my, um, new place of residence up here in Washington. I'm now, now resident of Washington. Um, but anyways, uh, his, his name's Darcy. Um, 
Dryden, and he's from from Australia, and he told me that uh, that he's been listening to the podcast quite a bit, and just was trying to give credit where credit's due, I guess. Which I don't know that I can take much credit in this, but he's saying that uh, that he owes some of the credit um, of to to well, his recent. Yeah, he just won. Um, a national match. A national match there. in Australia. Um, day one, he said he was up six points on the first day. And then it's the PRS Night, For- Night Force Heat Stroke Open in Australia. Um, and he said, and then he ended up being 17 points up on um, second place after day two. Um, so day one, he was six points up. And then the next day, he was another 11 up and ended up 17 points up which I've done that before and that's pretty fun. Uh, I know what it feels like. It's awesome. So if you're listening, um, Darcy, that's pretty, pretty awesome. But, uh, anyways, he says he owes it to a lot to the pre-stage prep dope rifle scope and the routine between, um, stages like mag data, wind watching, keeping momentum on stages and stuff like that, which which to me that's huge, right? Like, because it, it it ensures I'm mentally prepared before every stage. I use that dope rifle scope wind. That's what I say, dope rifle scope wind, every time, um, in between deals. And I just when I'm done shooting, I go straight to my backpack, write my score down, and load my mag. That's just part. That's just what I do there. And I always have a mag in my pocket and a mag on my side. And then, um. And I triple check the amount of rounds in in my mags. I'm 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 very very um, conscious of how many rounds is in that mag because I want to make sure I have enough. But anyways, the dope dope part of my mental routine. I that's where I want to I want to make sure that I have the right data for everything. So I make sure I have all the data in my Kestrel and written on my deal or written on my card, and I make sure I range every target and find them all and go through the order of the targets and all that and have that, the target part of it, the target order, sequence, uh, data, all that all written down and on my arm. That's the dope part. The rifle part is I want to make sure I have all the gear ready for that, whether it's bags, tripods, the bipod set up correctly, my rifle's right, everything. Then I want to make sure my scope's right. The first turret is uh, the first the the turrets dialed to the right place all my turrets windage elevation parallax diopter everything's ready to go that way it's on the right power setting um i want to make sure everything there is all good in my scope part and i think that in one two three one is um uh, is my ocular I, i want my diopter to be set i've got a mark there make that sure that's right um i'm gonna start now on the scope i'm gonna i gotta think level needs to be in there somewhere i think that's gonna be in my one step because the level is on my ocular housing so i'm gonna make sure that's in there and that that's on so and then uh which it was easy because i had to move that out of the way to see my see my diopter setting and so I, it would make me think about my level there at that match, using that for the first time, um, using the send it level. But anyways, so 
um, I'm going on here, but uh, the the important part is is that you have something for everything. And then the wind, I just think wind, and I usually don't write down my data until I finalize my wind call, but I still go through all this process and then go back through it again. It's like I go through it two or three times before before every stage, and then that's that I'm fully prepared, and then I feel relaxed, and then I can calm down. And then right before I shoot, a lot of times people think I'm scattered because all of a sudden I re-go through everything again. All of a sudden I'll be like, dope, checking everything on there, looking at my arm board, and then I go through my rifle, make sure everything's good, look at my scope, and I'm like going through everything, making sure, and this is at that point I make sure my caps are all open and everything, and and then I go back all through it, and then everything's ready to go, and then I go. And it keeps me locked in because I have a system. Yep. It works. Yep. It does. So I think the, my answer for that is watch watch the video on Anarchy Outdoors on the one-shot drills. And and uh, it's Anarchy Outdoors' YouTube channel. There's my one-shot drill um, video. That's It's long, but watch that and really kind of figure out my philosophy behind my one-shot drills and then um, try to incorporate that um, the, and think about, make that trigger pull a conscious process and then um, and then have a pre-stage plan, um, routine that you go through. You don't have to be the same as mine. That's just mine, right? I just have my own set of four words that I go through and each word is attached to several different things and and if I go through each word in that process then I know that I'll be ready to go and very prepared for every stage um, that could be completely different for you I know that Adam Robinson I've talked about um, his deal on here before he has an actual clipboard with an actual process and a checklist that he checks off manually with a pen on every stage everything that he goes through and that helps him um to do it whatever it is it doesn't matter it's the right answer is not the same for everybody i'm just very very simple-minded and i have to have something that is stupid simple so simple that i will do it and it has to cut out all the fluff, the things that don't matter. Because if if I have fluff in it, I will not do any of it. I promise. Yep. So. It uh, it definitely helps keep your head in it. Um, keeps you, you know, focused on the things that matter. There's some things that are automatic, and there's some things that are not that you got to think about every time you do it. Yep. And that trigger pull is one of them, definitely. And, uh, yep. So that's all I can say, Dylan, is implement your process. And, and you know, go like hell on everything but the trigger pull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, slow down on that. Tra- train yourself to shift gears and it'll... It makes a big yeah. difference. And, and, then, and then hang out there, you know, keep your finger on that trigger. And watch where that you know. That's watch the other where that thing. That bullet hits on that plate. That's one thing I guess I will watch where you miss. You know, you're right. You just uh, don't move until you've got that process. Because if you if you move onto the next target, and that that thing could be you know two tenths, three tenths off from what you thought it was. Yep. So get that 
processed in your head before you before you move. Yep. I think that's one thing that uh, I forget to tell people is after you squeeze and the trigger goes off, you need to freeze. You need to stop and just not move and hold the trigger back and not move your hand, not move nothing, not move one yep. muscle. So that, let that, so when let you that catch gun, the gun lay it where it's at. Don't, don't try and push the barrel down so you can see better in the top of your scope so the Christmas tree ain't in the way or anything like that. You need a good reticle that you can see through it. Yep, you just need to let the gun stop. And the only way yep. to do that is to stop moving yourself. And so you just need to, boom, catch the rifle and just freeze. Just think freeze. Don't move your hand. If your hand moves, so like if you try to, if you flick, if you booger flick, that means you're moving your hand and you're going to move the gun a little bit. And because of that, the gun will stay moving and you'll see less. But if you just think freeze and just hold that trigger back and just let that gun come back and stop, man, you'll see so much more. It's crazy how much more you see just by not moving after. It's just a split second. You only have to wait. Um, but man, if you just wait till that bullet hits before you move any muscles, man, it's crazy. So I, that's what I would say. I think Paul agrees with me. Um, it's all in how you pull the trigger and how you prepare for the stage and, and processing, um, seeing and processing each bullet. Yep. So it's not worrying about the next one. It's. You know, it's you're in the moment there. That's yep. that's what matters the most. Yep. And sorry for the long podcast, I guess. We, but we, me and Paul just had a lot, lot to say on the international deal and how much fun it was. And I'm sure, like I say, we'll be talking about this for a long time because it was just so much fun. And uh, didn't get to a lot of listener questions, but I, I feel like we got to a good one. And... Uh, just wanted to share that with you guys. and um, Yeah, if you guys have any questions on what happened over there, um, let us know. If you have any other questions, um, uh, seriously, feel free to hit me up on um, Facebook, Instagram. Um, same with Paul. Uh, but I will try to, uh, like I say, that's, that's kind of the format I'm going to try to lean, lean towards is, is uh, I think most of the time it'll be me and Paul, but every now and again, it might be me and Paul, somebody else, or or me and somebody else. Um, but uh, try to, you know, talk about some interesting topics, but then make sure that we are adding um, some useful information in there for everybody um, and get the listeners involved. So if you guys have any questions, like I say, hit us up and we will uh, try to get to them. So thank you for listening and thanks for being on here, Paul. Okay. Thanks for having me. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Oh, yeah. And, we'll, we'll... Um, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh... <laughs> yep. We'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>